Amen. All right, good morning. How's everybody doing this today? Good? Okay. How was your week? Good? It's, it's, been, um, it's been a week, though, right? Um, just a number of, of things have happened throughout this week. There was the, uh, the shooting that happened in Texas, uh, which is kind of a, a hard thing to, to contemplate, to think about. Um, on Tuesday, uh, the staff at church got news that uh, uh, a doctor within the church who had been actually helping out a number of the different pastors at the different locations um, just suddenly passed away from a heart attack. which was just like crossing the street, um, and that happened. We've, we've had a couple um, uh, just difficult life situations, we're praying for healing for people, just, just everything that's kind of like happening. So it's, it's been like one of those weeks, like it's a holiday weekend and uh, there's all this jumbled up like, okay, like we're rejoicing in some situations, in other situations we're, we're mourning, in some situations it's a, a bunch of difficulty, in other situations like it's rest because, you know, maybe you're not working tomorrow and you've had a nice three-day weekend and, and everything's kind of jumbled up. And so how do you respond to this? How do you, how do you live out of this? Um, and we've been going through a series in the book of John entitled The Word. And we've been going through um, John chapter 14. Uh, and a lot of this is Jesus uh, during the Last Supper, his uh, last conversations that he has face-to-face with his disciples. He's, he's teaching them some things. Um, and we've been looking at how he's saying he's going to prepare a place um, to follow his commandments. And what we're going to do today is we're actually going to skip a few verses. Uh, these verses talk about needing to follow Jesus' commandments. Um, but we're going to cover those in chapter 15 where he says, I'm the vine and if you abide in me, uh, obey my commandments. And so we'll be looking at that in a week or so. Uh, another uh, section that we're going to kind of pass over for now uh, is the promise of the Holy Spirit uh, and the helper and the counselor that's being given uh, because Jesus is going away. But that's also covered uh, in John chapter um, 15 and 16 and, and heading into 17 as well. So we'll be able to focus on that and kind of come back to this, but uh, kind of looking at the week that we've had uh, and just how to process it, uh, I thought it was appropriate um, to kind of look into John chapter 14, uh, beginning in verse 27. Uh, and so if you want to turn your Bibles there, we'll have the verses up on the screen when we get to it. Um, but just so many things that are different happening within our own country, uh, Ukraine, the finances, we, we head to our gas tanks and like all these different things. Um, and looking at this passage, I think, is something that will be helpful to us. Uh, but let's pray before we go there. Father, we thank you for your holy word. Uh, we thank you that it is uh, beneficial for all things, uh, for training us, uh, for reproving us, for correcting us. Uh, and Lord, we thank you uh, that we come to this and that it's alive and that it's active. Uh, and we choose to submit uh, our souls into your hands as the master potter and ask that you would guide us and direct us, shape us, uh, and grow us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, in John chapter 14, uh, again, uh, Jesus has been preparing the disciples for his departure. Uh, in verse 27, uh, he responds by saying, peace uh, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Uh, do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. 
You've heard me tell you I'm going away and I'm coming to you. If you love me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. I will not walk with you or will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of the world is coming. He has no power over me. On the contrary, so that the world may know that I love the Father and I do as the Father commanded me. Get up. Let's leave this place. And so Jesus gets up here, uh, and they begin to head to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is where uh, Judas will then come and betray him, and Jesus will be arrested. Uh, and just consider everything that's about to happen in this moment, right? Like, like they're going to walk to the Garden. Jesus is, is going to tell his disciples, like, pray. Pray that you don't enter into temptation. Pray, and, and he heads off by himself uh, to go uh, and to pray. He comes back and he finds the disciples sleeping. He's like, can't you, can't you pray? And he heads out again and he's praying more. And, and as he's praying, like he's saying, Father, let this cup pass for me, but yet not my will be done but yours. And the stress that he was under in that moment, it says his sweat became with great drops of blood. And he's praying in that moment, choosing to submit, choosing to, to willingly walk towards the cross. Judas comes up with a bunch of soldiers with him, temple guards, to arrest him. And uh, we don't have depictions um, within Scripture of, of exactly how it happened, but the Passion of Christ gives us one example of, of maybe how that went down and how they may have treated him. But we do know that he was spit on, that he was beaten, that a crown of thorns was pushed down onto his head, that, that people walked up to him, strangers would all walk up to him and slap him and say, all right, prophesy, what's my name? Who just hit you? And then he was handed over to Romans. Like this was his own countrymen doing this to him. And then he's handed over to the Romans uh, where he's scourged, forced to carry his own cross, nailed to a tree to die as a criminal. His mother's there. Uh, like this is a very difficult, stressful painful situation that, that none of us would willingly walk towards. And yet Jesus did it for us. Now in the weight of this, recognize what Jesus just said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Knowing all of this is about to happen, he's saying, the peace that I have Right now, I give to you my peace. Not as the world gives, because it certainly wasn't a, a peaceful evening in the world's concept where Jesus was betrayed, arrested, and then put on trial and heads towards the cross. In fact, he says, so the world may know that I love the Father. I do as the, the Father commanded me. Get up, let's leave this place. But in Jesus, it's all in peace. And so I think we need to consider what this is. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But I think one of the things that we need to focus on to begin with is this statement is, peace I leave with you, my peace I give, I do not give you as the world gives you peace. Now, how do we have peace within the world? 
Like, like what, are we, what are we reaching for? What are we seeking for? What is the, the general sense of humanity desiring when it comes to peace? If we just look at the definition of peace, and I kind of compiled this definition from a number of different sources because there were so many. You, you could go to one dictionary and it would say something and the next one would add just a little bit. The next one would add just a little bit. And so here, here's kind of a, a compound definition. Peace is a concept of societal friendship and harmony in the absence of hostility and violence. In a social sense, peace is commonly used to mean a lack of conflict, freedom from fear, violence, oppression, or discrimination between individuals or groups. In other words, if you distill this definition of peace, it really comes down to a lack of conflict, either externally or internally. Meaning that we feel, or society feels that there's peace if I'm not in confrontation or conflict with people outside myself, and internally within my own feelings, I don't feel conflict either. It's really just a pursuit of happiness, a pursuit of comfort with that definition of peace. Because we're just wanting to avoid anything of negativity, and we only want the things uh, that are positive within this. So with that, how do we seek to attain peace based on that definition? Essentially, it means just remove all confrontation. Remove all conflict. I found a a website called uh, beinginspired.com. And uh, it's all, you know, one word. So it actually looks like being inspirer, uh, which is kind of odd when I read it. But anyways, um, here's some of the things it had. Avoid competing with your neighbors, friends, and relatives. So, so, again, avoid conflict. Like, don't compete with them. Don't see who has the bigger Christmas light display or, uh, you know, the, the mowing war of, like, who mows to what line. I'm going through that currently right now with a neighbor that just moved in, and it's the brand-new season, and the first time that they're mowing, and I'm like, okay, we got to have this tension now of, like, figuring out who mows what. Um, so avoid those kinds of things. Um, here's another one. Avoid romantic relationships in which you or your partner is not in love. I found that to be kind of an odd one. <laughs> like, like, don't go into a relationship uh, if you're not in love. Uh, another one is don't care what other people say or think about you. So again, not, not, if you can't remove the conflict, then just don't care about the conflict is what it's saying. Just, just ignore it. Realize, here's another one, realize that after all, nothing will matter because you and everyone else will die. It's a philosophy called nihilism um, that often ends up in severe depression. Because then it's like, ah, nothing matters. We're all going to die. Who cares about conflict? This is the different tips that the world has to find peace. Another one is uh, to take a walk in nature and to go out in nature and and you'll get a sense uh, of peace within nature. And some of these things like this one are are helpful depending on how we do it. Like uh, there's studies been shown that we go out and we spend some time in nature or kind of the the atmosphere in God's creation. Uh, We're able to, to relax, right? But what this is trying to do is equate relaxing with peace which is a lack of conflict, right? 
And so what it's saying is, is if we go out and, and we take a walk in nature, it'll help us to find peace. There's some uh, positive benefits to that. But then I found this next quote where it says, uh, nature tells us that we are all equal and therefore we should live in harmony. When we realize this simple concept, uh, we attain peace. And so what I think this person's kind of getting at is like we go out into nature and I hear you have a tree and the tree's living harmoniously with the squirrel who's living in a tree and, and kind of this benefit um, within one another. So when we realize this simple concept, we attain peace, there will be no conflict and everyone will live joyously. I don't think they ever watched National Geographic. <laughs> because nature is not peaceful. Right? Like, like, my family and I, we like to watch, like, the, the different documentaries. And, and uh, there was this one series on, like, different whales. Uh, and so we're kind of talking about the different whales that we like. And uh, my daughter happens to like uh, narwhals, you know, with the big, long tooth coming out of their nose and, and the cute whales like that. And, and she's like, what's your favorite? And I was like, I really like orcas. And she's like, oh, no, <laughs> you know, because we're watching the episode and, and here's like this little baby seal on a shelf of ice and, and you've got like four or five orcas like swimming around it and shoving in all these like brilliant ways that they've come up with to find food that's absolutely vicious. But that's nature, Right. And so it's actually this distortion of creation uh, that happened when sin entered into the world. And so this concept of, of looking to nature to realize that everything lives within harmony uh, really ignores the, the brutal nature of a fallen world and what nature shows us in that with death. Sin and death entered into the world, um, and I think what's remarkable is that we find in Romans chapter 8 uh, that nature is actually waiting for us, right? Like, like, it's not like, oh, we look to nature and then we learn how to live in harmony because of, there's a plenty of violence there, but Scripture actually tells us that nature's waiting for us. Uh, verse 19, for the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. It's talking about the aspect that through the fall of sin with Adam and Eve, and sin and death entered into the world, and, and through that death spread out throughout the animal kingdom, uh, throughout all of nature, that itself is now set in bondage and decay and death. And that's the world that we're living in as we wait for Jesus Christ to come back. But it's waiting for us to be revealed. For us to truly step into our identities, for sons and daughters to live as the adopted children of God, bringing the light of the world. I, I almost envision at times like the remarkable moments that we have in nature, the, the glimpses where, you know, a lot of times um, animals are just kind of afraid of us, Right? And we walk through a forest and, and there's a squirrel or a chipmunk or whatever and we snap on a twig and it's like, ah, and it runs away. And yet we get these glimpses sometimes uh, of being able to interact with them 
in this amazing way where like, you know, I've had a chipmunk in my hand kind of like eating corn, you know, out of my hand. Um, my daughter's had how many different experiences. Uh, I love this one where like she's on her deck and, and she tells this story. So, Ellie, do you want to tell this story or do you want me to do it? I'm going to be much more silly than you. You want me to do it? Okay, so she's on our deck in our backyard, and she's just like, I'm just like walking on the deck. And so she's like walking on the deck. She's like, I just feel something kind of like land on my shoulder. And, and so she turns her head and looks, and, and there's a, a mourning dove that has like come and like landed on her shoulder. And, and she said she turned and she looked at it, and the mourning dove turned and looked at her, and, and that there was this pause there, and then the mourning dove all of a sudden was like, woo, and like flew off. Was that close enough, Ellie? Okay. But I think we get these glimpses at times of the relationship that was meant to be, right? The, the way that God had designed it, we get these glimpses uh, of creation not having fear, not having worry, not having uh, concern uh, over being around us, but rather a sense of like, this is how things ought to have been. And, and those moments are brief and fleeting, uh, but it points towards this aspect of the right order of the world as God initially designed it before mankind broke it with sin and that entered in. And everything that we've experienced up until this point uh, has been a distortion, has been this, this stained relationship between mankind and nature and mankind and mankind. And everything that we see that happens on our news feed, all the, the tragedies, all the, the dramas, all the conflicts between countries, between individuals, between brokenness and sin and, and massacres are all a result of this brokenness that, that entered into the world through sin and through death. We're told by Jesus himself that, that these distorted things will cause difficulties that they will cause problems. Jesus says this in uh, verse 29, we already read it, but just to focus on it, he says, I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. He's saying, I'm going away. I'm going to die. I'm going to be lifted up. I'm telling you now so that when it happens, you may believe instead of doubting. That something broken is going to happen. That the, the one who spoke all things into existence is going to die as a criminal. The, the one who's revealed himself as the Messiah that the disciples have been following in faith is about to be arrested, put on trial, and, and killed, murdered on a cross. And he's saying, I'm telling you that this is going to happen. So then when it happens, you might believe, the Greek word pistis, that you might have faith. Instead of doubting, instead of leaving, this is the plan. This, this is what is happening within the context of this broken world. And in fact, he goes on to say, I'm doing it so that the world may know that I love the Father. I'm doing as he has commanded to me. I'm doing it to make a declaration of what the gospel is. That this is necessary and through this you will find freedom. Through conflict, using the world that is broken, we'll find freedom in what Christ accomplished on the cross. 
He says here that the ruler of the world is coming, but he has no power over me. But instead, the world will know. So this is the peace that Jesus has, that, that he is in control. That this is what's been prophesied since the very beginning when that sin first happened. And, and God is talking to the serpent and to Eve, and he's saying, you know, her seed will crush your head and you'll bruise his heel. He's talking about Jesus coming to the cross. The peace that he has cannot be defeated because there is no power over him. And God is ultimately glorified in the midst of something that appears very, very broken. God uses in order to bring about something magnificent. This is why Jesus had peace. Even knowing everything that was about to come, everything that was about to happen through his betrayal, he had peace in this because it was the plan and it was what was necessary. This is the peace that Jesus gives to us. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but my peace. We find this peace through repentance and forgiveness, the adoption um, of being into God's family, that through the forgiveness of sins, we're, we're made holy. All of this results in us no longer being of this world. I mean, that's where Jesus' peace ultimately came from, right? He, imagine, like, I think it's hard for us to imagine what he went through. The betrayal and everything else. But imagine going through that, remembering speaking all things into existence. Right? Like, like okay, they're, they're leading me away, and I hear an owl. And I spoke the owl into existence. There's passages that tells us that he knows uh, how many hairs are on our heads, right? And, and so that concept of, of what if, you know, the servant whose ear was cut off by Peter and, and Jesus is in his head having the tally like, oh, he's five hairs less because Peter grabbed a couple of them. Like, like that idea of the peace that he must have had even knowing that he was going to go through something difficult because he realized he wasn't of the world, was not subject to the world. The world had no power over him. And so he could walk in that peace and that control in that sense of him being God. But he says that this is what he gives to us because we're adopted into his family. We're no longer of this world. That our former selves have passed away. That we're new creations. We looked at this last week a little bit. In Ephesians, it says that we're currently seated with him in heavenly realms. Peter calls us aliens and strangers in the world. That we're ambassadors in Corinthians, making an appeal for God. That we belong to the kingdom of heaven, not this world. And so therefore, our interactions here are as foreigners, are as ambassadors. As we're visiting and our true identity, our true... Uh, citizenship uh, is within heaven and that we're no longer under the power of sin or death the way Christ was no longer under the power of sin or death we see the apostles start to walk in the truth of this peace uh, when they were put on trial they were arrested after Jesus was crucified, after he was resurrected, after the Holy Spirit came and empowered them, and they were going around, um, and they were actually walking into the temple, and there was a man there who was asking for money. 
And Peter said to him, I, what I don't have, I don't have money, but what I do have, get up in the name of Jesus Christ and pick up your mat and walk. And the man does it. Very similar to how Jesus had gone to the pool and said, pick up your mat and walk. And so they're doing what Jesus had commanded them to do. And they're arrested for it. They're arrested and taken to the very same trial. The very same judges that had condemned Jesus Christ to death. And they're saying to them, you have to stop. You, you can no longer do this. You can't preach the name of Jesus like, like we killed him. You need to stop this or we're going to kill you. And the response in that moment, because of the peace that they had, was we could do no other thing but to proclaim the name of Jesus. The boldness that they had in that moment, but also the peace where they didn't have that fear for their life, but rather were saying, we're living the life that God has called us to live. And in the confidence of that, we can stand in the ones that condemn Jesus to death and say, we're not going to stop. Those rulers, those judges, then had them beaten and then let them go. Do you remember what they did as they were let go? They rejoiced. They rejoiced because they were worthy to be considered with Jesus and persecuted in the way that he was persecuted. They went in and they prayed, and this is in Acts 4. They prayed and asked God for more boldness in order to go out and to continue to proclaim this. All of this was possible because of the foundation of this peace. Foundation of this peace that's not anchored in this world, but rather that they didn't belong to this world anymore and that they were about their father's business. They were about the business that Jesus had called them to do. So that when their lives were threatened, when times were hard, when they were thrown into jail, they had peace in that situation. Not because of their earthly circumstances. Not because of what was going on around them or the persecution that they were facing. Or, or even when Saul, before he became Paul, was going around and dragging Christians out of their homes, uh, arresting them or standing by while they were stoned. That didn't dictate their peace because it didn't dictate their identity. It was anchored firmly in heaven, regardless of circumstances. And we find that this same peace was then given to us as we were also adopted into the family of God. Not dependent upon our earthly circumstances, not dependent on the things happening around us, but dependent upon our heavenly identity and adoption and the focus of our minds that we're no longer of this world. That we're living eternally minded instead of earthly minded. We've been given the same peace regardless of the storms of life. In Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter 21, Jesus foretold what would come. He said there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, pandemics, famine, persecution, an increase of lawlessness, a love for the greater number cooling off, people having less concern for one another in the world. And I think we clearly see the results of those things just by looking at any news feed on any given day. Uh, the lack of love for one another is a root of any crime committed because it's of selfishness, of thinking about me instead of considering about the damage or hurt that's being caused to somebody else. That lack of, of love for one another is at the root of any abuse that happens. We talk about pandemics and we're still coming out of 
the ramifications of one in 2020. Like, like all of these things happen, and, and Jesus said that they would come, and, and he literally says within those passages, these things must take place before the end comes. But don't worry about them. Don't be anxious about them. This is the result of a broken, fallen world continuing down the path that it's chosen to go on separate from God. And for us who have been redeemed, who have been adopted, we're no longer part of that brokenness because we've been made whole through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have a peace that's not anchored in the things that will happen. And as much as Jesus was saying to the disciples on the night that he was betrayed, I've told you these things ahead so that you will believe. He's told us in Luke 24 and Luke 21, I'm telling you, these things will happen. Tragedies are going to happen. Wars are going to happen. Sickness is going to happen. All of these things must take place before the end comes. And he's telling us these things so that we believe and that we have faith and that we trust. So that our identity is not shaken. So that our peace is not shaken by the events within our news stream. Because our peace is not based on those things. It's based upon the, the word of God, the promises that he has given to us, and the fact that our eternal dwelling place is with him as he indwells within us through the Holy Spirit. Nothing in this world has power over us. I think it's a concept that we struggle to truly grasp. That sin and death no longer have power over us. That nothing in this world has power over us. That nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Neither death, nor life, nor sword, nor famine. In all of these things, we're more than conquerors. I'm paraphrasing half the verse, um, but it's in Romans chapter 8. This is the peace that we have. We're no longer of this world. This world no longer has power over us. We need to pray that we grasp that. We need to pray that we walk that out in confidence and in boldness the way that the disciples did. Doesn't mean that things won't be difficult. In fact, it means things will be difficult, but that God will use the difficult things to refine us. We will face pain at times, but as we walk through it with God, he works within us transforms us, refines us. We talks about silver in so many different places within the scripture uh, and really a, a violent process in order to purify it. You, you have this hunk of ore that has silver and all these other impurities in it. It's literally tossed into heat that causes all of the compounds and connections to break down through fire in order to be separated and scraped off. But the result is this refined silver. The result is this refined faith, a refined soul that reflects Jesus Christ even more. There's going to be times that we have sorrow. The way, did we, the way that we did this week when we heard the news of what happened in Texas. We will mourn, but it should not cause us fear. We will mourn, but it will not control us. We will mourn, but it has no power over us. It should drive us to prayer. It should drive us to rejoicing. And as I say that, I know it sounds odd, right? 
When we hear of tragedies this week, I'm saying it should drive us to rejoicing. What I mean by that is we rejoice that we're not chained to the tragedies of this world. We rejoice that the tragedies of this world are just temporary. We rejoice that Jesus declared that it is finished and that these things no longer have control or dictate our peace or our joy. We rejoice because we've been set free from the grave and that we're free in Jesus Christ. And with that freedom, then we're able to then pray for those who are still in bondage, still in darkness, still having their entire worlds and reality shaken over these things where they have no hope. And we pray that their eyes are open to Jesus Christ and that they might find the same freedom and the same concept of rejoicing that, that even if an atom bomb would drop on our country, nothing separates us from the hand of Jesus Christ and that he will use all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose and he will work out all things for his glory. Be difficult for us. Be hard for us. But it's an opportunity for us to be light in the world to show that this thing is just temporary. It passes. And a hundred billion years from now, are we going to even remember it? A thousand years from now, Right? Like, like even if we look at the youngest infant within this room and say they happen to live to a, 105 years old because of, you know, increasing medical technology. Let's say 200 years old because of increasing technical, medical, whatever. A thousand years from now, they'll still have been in God's presence for 800 years. What does that compare to the worst thing we've ever experienced in this life? In fact, in Romans 8, Paul says, I, I don't even compare our present sufferings with the things that God is going to reveal to those who, are li who love him. This is the hope that we have. And, and the reality is, is that if we do not have peace in our lives right now, currently, it reveals that our source of peace is a lack of conflict, not Jesus. It's a test. When we see things happen in the world around us, when difficulties come into our life, when, when we face struggles and our sense of peace is shaken, there shouldn't be condemnation. There shouldn't be shame over that. But, but rather, it, it is a refining test in the process of refining us as silver that shows that there's still some dross in our life where we're leaning on and trusting for peace in things that are not Jesus Christ. Because if our peace is solely from him, it will not be shaken. But if our sense of peace is defined by no conflict, by a lack of suffering, then it'll be shaken as the winds blow in life and the storms of life come. So what do we do then? We turn to Philippians chapter 4. Starts off by saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. This passage starts off 
Rejoice in the Lord always, in all circumstances, in all times, even through weeks like we've had this week. I say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Again, He is the source of our peace. He is close. We trust in Him. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. You realize here within the first three verses, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And when you pray about things, do it with thanksgiving. It's all this anchoring process. When we choose to rejoice, even when things are difficult, it's an anchoring process that says, I rejoice that I am in God's hands. I rejoice that I am a citizen of heaven. I rejoice that these circumstances are temporary. I rejoice in my salvation. I rejoice in uh, my forgiveness. I rejoice that we have running water. I rejoice in a hummingbird. I rejoice in a drop of dew reflecting the sunlight off a sunrise. Like, like all of these different things, we can rejoice in what God has done for us. And each one of those is an anchoring process so that when we do have difficulties and we do pray about them, they're anchored in God is good. He is mine and I am his. That anchors our peace in any circumstance as we pray about the difficulties that we have. And then it says in verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's dependent upon rejoicing. Not just bringing prayer requests of difficulties. Because if all we do is come to God with our difficulties, all we're doing is focusing on the difficulties and saying, God, would you fix this difficulty? And why aren't you fixing this difficulty? And if you loved me, you would fix this difficulty. Instead of saying, God, thank you for all of these things. I need help with this. And, and I pray and I rejoice. As it says in 1 Peter and James chapter 1, rejoice when you face sufferings of various kinds because through each of these, your faith is being grown and solidified. So we rejoice in the sufferings as we lift them up and say, God, thank you for working within me. It's very foreign to us. But this peace that transcends all understanding is dependent upon rejoicing and meditating upon what God has done. And then it guards our hearts and our minds. It's sandwiched within this passage. Verse 8 continues after that. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned, received, and heard from me, and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the practical step, and it's a difficult one that we have to, to train ourselves to and crucify our flesh in order to accomplish it. Miraculously, Jesus has given us his peace. The peace where he was facing the cross. He gives to us, not as the world gives, but the very peace of the God who spoke all things into existence has all things within his control that holds all things together. That peace has been given to you at the cross. Miraculously, it's yours. We struggle with it because of the deception of the enemy. We struggle with it because of the deception of Satan who says to us, did God really say that you have peace in all circumstances? 
Did God really say that, that you're forgiven? Did he really say that you're washed as white as snow? Did he really say that you don't have any shame? Did, did he really say that you don't have to be affected by the circumstances of the world? And all of these little quiet doubts and lies assault the truth that we've been given the peace of the God who spoke all things into existence. And the way that we fight that, the way that we crucify our flesh, the way that we combat, combat those lies is through this passage. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, commendable, dwell on these things. Don't dwell on the lies. Don't dwell on the difficulties. But rejoice in the Lord always. Again, rejoice. Bring everything. Don't worry about every, anything. But in everything, bring our petitions to God with thanksgiving. It's all rejoicing. Rejoicing. Being grateful for what God has done. Meditating on what he has got, done. Denying the lies of the enemy, and that's what keeps us anchored to the peace that is ours, not by effort, but as a gift through the grace of God. The effort that we have to make is just choosing to believe it and living as though it's true. Father, we come before you. We thank you for this passage. Uh, we thank you for the peace that you have given to us in all circumstances. Lord, that uh, regardless of what happens within this world, as the days get darker, as you draw near, that we have peace and we can have joy and confidence as we trust you in all things. Lord, I pray uh, that as we examine our lives and our hearts and our minds and the areas where uh, our peace is shaken or we feel stress or anxiety or worry or fear, that we recognize that those things are there uh, because we have a false belief in what peace is and what brings peace. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness for those things. I pray that your Holy Spirit would continually reveal those to us so that we can set them aside and then we can choose to rejoice. Rejoice in trials, to rejoice in all circumstances, to re rejoice even in the most difficult prayer requests that we make as we choose to dwell and meditate on what is true and what is right and holy and good in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.